Hey there, it's Meike here. So before we jump into today's very important conversation, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by my Ultimate Podcast Guesting Workshop Series. So if you're someone who wants to learn how you can send fewer pitches and yet still manage to guest on more beautifully aligned podcasts to grow your business and build some pretty amazing relationships along the way, this workshop series is for you. This is an on-demand workshop, meaning that so long as it's in existence, you can access it 24-7, 365 days out of the year. So if you are interested in learning more about that, head on over to the link in my show notes where you'll find a sponsor link for this episode. And a quick tip for you when it comes to podcast guesting, I recommend that you start before you need it. And that's all from me for the sponsor message. And now that's the show. Hello, my lovelies. This is May K. Sang, your podcast guesting strategist and mentor, cat lover, and the proud host of the Quiet Rebels podcast. This is the place for experts on the rise who are finally ready to stop playing small and to start showing up as the leader they've always been. And contrary to what you might think, you don't have to be the loudest person in the room in order to be heard. You've always been the type to see things differently, and you've always chosen another pathway if the one laid out in front of you just doesn't align with your way of life. You're not alone in this. So to help you on your journey, I'm bringing conscious conversations to the table with myself and guest experts who will help you with the inner work that needs to be done in order to make a positive impact on the world with what you do. I see you. And now it's time to hear you, my friend. So please welcome to The Quiet Rebellion. Hello, my wonderful Quiet Rebels. Oh, I love this conversation today because we are going to be talking about heart-centered, high-ticket sales. So around this time last year, we had um, Erica Tebbins on the show to talk about to talk about sales as well right and we touched on some new different ways but I love that this conversation is specific to high ticket so if you're wondering what high ticket sales experiences are like how can you do it in such a way that is integrity in integrity and all those sorts of nuances and so that's why I'm super excited to have none other than Paige Ray on the show today to talk about all things heart-centered, high-ticket sales. So Paige, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thank you so much for having me here. This is one of my favorite topics, so I'm really excited to chat about it. Awesome. So I'm curious, Paige, like what makes you, what makes you passionate about it in the first place? I mean, clearly like high-ticket must be in your, in your skill set, you know, that you use right now in your business. So what did it take to get you there? Like tell us your business journey. <laughs> Absolutely. I took a few different twists and turns in my business journey. I think most of us have done that, especially, you know, we're so creative at heart. We, we go down so many paths to get to our goals. So I actually started my business about, gosh, almost seven years ago. And around the second year that I was in business, I went through a divorce and that was super, super scary. But suddenly I found myself having a business that I loved, but not really knowing how to run it or how to make money at it and definitely needing to make money at it. And I'm really big on sharing numbers. So 
that year that I got divorced, I had only made about $9,000 in my business. I was a photographer and it was a big world of, of photography in Los Angeles. And I had no idea what I was going to do, how I was going to pay my bills. And I had you know, a decision to make. I could go back to my old nine to five that I had left a few years earlier. I had been a journalist for about 10 years. So while I still loved it, I knew that wasn't the path for me anymore. So I decided I'm going to figure out how to run a creative business, how to do it profitably, and how to feel good about the things that I'm doing in it and still feel passionate about it. And that definitely was, it took a while. Like it wasn't an overnight thing by any means. It actually took a few years of working in trial and error and doing things I didn't love and then doing things I did love and figuring it all out before I finally felt like I was on the path that felt the most at home to me and the most uh, nurturing of my passion. And along the way, um, as a photographer, I knew that I needed to be charging what the actual value was that I was bringing to the table for my clients. Um, I had a feeling along the way, whenever I was doing work for less money than the work I was doing was worth, then I would have a very specific feeling. It would usually be a resentment. So I knew I needed to be charging more money, but that's really hard in a creative industry. We've all run into these obstacles. We raise prices and then we kind of panic a little bit and, and drop them back down. And I just had this feeling of like the way that sales is usually taught, which is very like, we have this feeling that it's very like pushy and very like, like manipulative and gross are the words that I hear all the time. And I just felt like it doesn't really have to be that way. Like what we're really doing here with our services is offering a transformation to our clients. And that transformation is valuable. You know, we're guiding them through something big and we're doing that with care and compassion. And our sales process can also be care and compassion too. So I started to look at it from a different point of view. How do I approach sales with heart, with care, and with a, you know space for that transformation? How do I make that possibility clear to the people that I want to work with? So when I started approaching it from that point of view, it kind of took on a whole new feeling. It was no longer about um, you know numbers. It wasn't about pushing. It wasn't about worrying. It was about you know. How do I invite this person, this human um, into the, into my space and care for them in a way that makes them feel seen and heard and safe within the um, offer that I'm making to them? So that became my priority. And from there, I really started looking at sales completely differently. And I really believe once I started having success with it, eventually I built a six-figure photography business in one of the toughest markets in the world. I mean, Los Angeles is like everyone that you walk next, like half the people you encounter are photographers here. <laughs> <laughs> and any photographers listening know that. But it's the same way for all creatives, whether you're a coach or a calligrapher, we all come up against those same battles. So once I built, I built my six-figure business and I did it working with, over these past few years, I've worked with more than a hundred ideal clients and they all paid my full prices of thousands of dollars. And so I know this is something that is available to all creatives <clears throat> mm. and it becomes a matter of looking at sales differently and be willing to think of sales as something completely different than what we've typically been taught. Oh, 
okay so there, there are so many times where I didn't want to steal your thunder because but I'm like making mental notes in my head like oh make her ask her that afterwards <laughs> so first of all thank you for your transparency um where everything came from and you know when you said that oh in my first year of business that I earned like nine thousand dollars um I'll be extremely transparent when I was 22. That's technically when I started my business. I made $297. (laughs) Obviously, I had a side job because I was still like, you know, making it work. But anyhow, but I love your transparency anyhow. And um, the one of the niggling points I definitely want to wrote back to was about raising your prices and then re-lowering them. So I'm curious, like, what did it take for you to know when to raise your prices how much buy and how to keep them there this is such a good question because we bump into it all the time like we're at a certain place right now as creatives but we know where we need to be in order to run that profitable business and you do deserve to run a profitable business as a creative as an artist like you don't have to like the starving artist trope, we don't have to do that. Like that doesn't have to be what we do anymore. And so when we are raising our prices, um, the biggest, the biggest mistake that I made is I went from where I was at to where I wanted to be. And I made a huge leap. And of course there was panic there, but there was also that gap between, you know, that like two month place where it feels like things slow down so much. And that's the part where people always freak out. So what I've been doing is working on doing it differently. Instead of making that big leap all at once, I do it in small increments, like every three or four clients raising that price just a little bit. And that actually lifts you along with the, with the energy of your new price. Like it's kind of like carrying your new price up a stair step and carrying your energy with it. Cause so often the problem with that big leap is that we're unaligned with the energy of that new price all of a sudden, and we're Mm. intimidated by our new price and people are reading that. And it takes time to get back into alignment with that. And then along with that, what's happening is you cultivate an audience at your current price point. And then when you make that big leap, you have to cultivate an audience at that new price point too. And when you've made that leap, oftentimes, if it's too big, you end up losing and leaving behind that old audience. And that gap in clients comes from the time it takes to make that new, um, cultivate that new audience. So that's oftentimes what's happening. That's why we feel like when we raise our prices, we see that like dip in clients and that's what makes us panic and freak out. So it doesn't have to be that way. So um, if you are thinking about raising your prices, start small and go in increments. Um, Don't let it overwhelm you and make sure that your energy is still like aligned with the new pricing that you're putting forward. And there will sometimes be small gaps that you'll have to like work to like get back in alignment with. And that's okay. Those are doable in a shorter amount of time than say a huge leap. So the way, um, the way that, you know, it's time to raise your prices is actually pretty simple. I see a lot of creatives get frustrated with their work and I felt the same way. And the moment that I feel resentful of my work, the moment I feel bored Mm -hmm. with my work, that's it. It's time to raise my price. And that's where that comes from. When you start to feel resentful of what you're passionate about, 
it's because you're not being compensated how you should be. So that's the big indicator. If you are feeling resentful of your business, of your work, you know, that's not what we started out to do, right? We started out to be passionate and excited. So that for me is always the biggest indicator of, okay, it's time to raise the prices. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. And I love what you, um, I love that I'm a very visual person. So when you said the stairs, I thought, um, cause I can, when I run up the stairs, sometimes to save time, I do, I can leap like two steps at a time, but I cannot leap five steps cause then I'd be in a split. So I think that that's kind of what it is, right? It's like be okay with like, you know, taking a slightly bigger, was it strides? But if you take one from like round zero to stair five, you might find yourself in the splits, which is extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> unless you're like, unless you're trained um, that way. Like, I, you know, one of my life goals is to be able to do the splits, but I digress. <laughs> um, but yeah, yes. yes, exactly. That's it. That's a perfect way to put it. And it, it that also makes me think of when we do run up the steps really, really fast. You know how you get out of breath, even if yeah. you're in good, you still kind of get out of breath. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. It takes a minute to catch your breath. So it's kind of similar to that. It's that like one you can catch get under the top, but like you need your your clients are gonna need a minute to catch up with you. Mm. Oh yes, I love that. And also what you said about the the alignment between like from where you've been to where you want to go, how it takes time to kind of like it's like um when you buy a goldfish, right? You don't drop it straight into the tank. You you need to like put the bag in the tank so it just like gets used to the water temperature and then like after a, a certain amount of time then you drop it in it's it's kind of like that so imagine your client that like the goldfish and your fish tank uh with the water is your new environment i.e your new price so again i'm a very visual person so we're gonna bring in a lot of, a lot of like um visuals in, into this conversation for sure um so yeah i love that and how it takes it's gonna take time to to get to that point um, so now that we talked about how how selling can be and how to kind of like reframe that so it feels good to us, knowing when to raise our prices and like doing it too fast and too slow, or rather too fast and too much rather. Yes. So I guess my question to you now, Paige, is high ticket. So first of all, I guess this is kind of like the splits, right? <laughs> when someone goes from offering something that's relatively, um, you know, low ticket in the hundreds. I'm curious, what, well, first of all, what is your idea of high ticket? Because I think it's, it's very vague. So what's your idea of high ticket? Mm. My idea of high ticket is anything over $1,000. But I also do recommend a lot of the practices we talk about for anything over high ticket. I actually recommend applying those for anything over $500. So I still think we're in the like mid tier range between 500 and a thousand and low ticket being less than 500. But once you're over 500, I still recommend doing these heart centered practices, um, moving people onto sales calls where you can start to demonstrate your value and understand what they need. I still recommend practicing that. Um, even though I would say high ticket is anything over a thousand. Mm. Interesting because um, I think 
because we are in if, uh, different industries that high ticket is going to mean something to different people so for me personally high ticket is anything beyond five thousand dollars right so i'm curious like the these principles that we're speaking about how can apply to people in different industries as our perception of high ticket is going to differ so okay where do we go from here uh, <laughs> I'm just jumping. Okay. First of all, like what was the biggest thing that you learned, I guess, um, when you started applying or maybe you've always applied heart-centered practices when it comes to high ticket sales? Like how did you make it feel natural to you? That is such a good question because talk about trial and error. (laughs) (laughs) I was really willing to try conversations a little bit differently and to kind of, first thing I did was I stepped out of the idea of anything that was pushy or numbers based, any kind of traditional sales, like ways of being, I, I was willing to step out of that and go, okay, how do we do this in a human first heart first way? And what it really opened up to after a while wasn't so much a sales process, but what we really, what I really concentrated on in these conversations, when I say conversations, I mean sales calls. Um, I take a sales call for anything over 500 pretty much. And on these sales calls, what we're really talking about is what transformation are you seeking and can I support you in that? We want to establish that. And then What we're really talking about is the thing that I find so fascinating about sales is how it really speaks to the light and the shadow of people, right? It speaks to the light, which is their biggest dreams and their biggest hopes, that transformation that they're seeking. But it also speaks to the shadow in so many ways because it's speaking to the blocks that people have, you know, and whether that's something that we like inherit, like a block that we were taught growing up or one that we put in our own way, we really need to address those for any high ticket sales because they really start to come up at that point. People really start to run into those blocks that they have really um, kind of like, I don't want to say convinced themselves that they have because they're very, very real. But, they, but it's something that we've told ourselves that we're not sure we can ever get past. So like, for example, um, the money block comes up all the time. The, this is the number one thing we hear, right? That, you know, I can't afford it or it's too expensive. And budget is real. I never want to like dismiss the fact that like everybody does have a budget. That's very real. Um, but there also is the fear that people have when they say, I can't afford this or it's not in my budget. Oftentimes what they're actually saying is, I'm afraid to be without this money. I'm afraid that if I spend this money, that I won't be worthy of the investment or Mm -hmm. I'll take the course or I'll take whatever the coaching and I won't be able to use it because I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. That's where those real fears start to come up. And so that's the shadow. That's the block that we're trying to understand when we're on these calls and care for and make space for. And, you know, that's, and that's where the transformation really starts to happen. So those are anything over 500 is where I really start to see those shadows start to come up and they need to be addressed with care on a call. They can rare, it's rarely an email. Do I feel like I can address it well enough though? Everybody has their own like way of doing things. So I know there are people out there who are absolute rock stars and can do it in email kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm I'm so glad that you spoke to the the light and the shadow, and I so appreciate what you said about 
the fact that when people have a budget, that you appreciate their lived experience. Because I did a post a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's the the caption, or rather the the graphic. It said that's an excuse. And then I crossed out the word excuse and then I put explanation in bold because um, there are so many like sales tactics that completely dismiss um, someone's legitimate explanation. And it's because I I do agree, like in old school um, sales tactics, I was actually trained that way when I first started to. And then, of course, now I'm starting to see it that the old way is like, oh, whatever objection they have, make sure you have an answer for it. And um, it's true, you know, that there are there are objections that people naturally have, but I think it's very irresponsible of the salesperson, i.e. the business owner, who is enforcing their own ideals on the person, making them feel guilty or backing them into a corner that their experience doesn't matter. It's like, oh, you you have a block, but I'll help you get through it if you pay me. And it's like, no, I mean, there is a there's so much sensitivity that we need to bring to the table, especially if you're having sales conversations, because people sell in different ways. People sell, you know, via, um, you know, a, a chat box. Uh, sometimes they sell via a sales page. But I think you and I, what we're speaking to is, you know, in the dynamic of having a sales call, like a one-on-one sales call, that this tenderness is required to help your prospect see their life and their shadows and how their shadows can be illuminated in a way, you know, if they work with you, not only if they work with you, but there's an option there. Exactly. And I, the word that came up for me that you hit on that, I feel like is so important because exactly. I mean, I 100% agree. Like we need to honor everybody's lived experience we need to validate it and not blow past it with, you know, this is just how I address this objection. It shouldn't be that way at all. Like we need to validate people's lived experiences. And you said the word sensitivity. And that is like, that makes my heart sore because that's why I love your community so much. It makes space for people who are sensitive instead instead of insisting that sensitivity shouldn't exist in the business world, which I think is... Oh, that, 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 that's a whole conversation right there. Like, okay, so my guest who I, who I interviewed just before the, this conversation today was all about trauma sensitivity. So not just sensitivity, but through the lens of trauma. And for anybody who's listening, who has ever been called sensitive in their lives in a way that has been, is never, you know, not as a compliment, because I'll be honest, 95% of the time when someone says you're sensitive, it's an insult. It's, it's not a compliment, but it's only in, you know, certain safe spaces, only in the online space, if I'm very honest with you, um, have I actually been celebrated for that sensitivity. So quiet rebels, absolutely. Like there are many things that connect us together. And one of them is empathy and highly being a highly sensitive person, like owning that. That's a complete tangent, but yes, <laughs> just just like giving us space for, for our sensitive people, like it truly is a strength. Oh, yes. Like I, exactly. Like I was called, my, my whole life growing up, I was just told all the time, you're too sensitive. You're just too sensitive. And so I just thought, okay, well, I need to toughen up. I need, um, I need to not take things so personally. And that's the wildest now, now sitting here looking back, that's the wildest part of it all is realizing that like, you know, people who say business isn't personal, I think that's missing the mark in such a big way. Business is, yes. 
100% personal and should be. We're asking to be in people's lives in so many ways. This pen is asking to be in my life. I'm a pen person. <laughs> but, you know, everything from like your pen to your phone to your coach um, to your photographer, like all of those things are highly personal and Mm. This is personal and it should be, it should care for the whole person and honor the whole person. So, and so I think that sales rethought has the power to do that. Um, that, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Oh, now, now I'm looking at everything I bought that is in my office right now. Like for everybody who's not in a moving car, if you're in a moving car, don't, <laughs> don't stop focusing on the road. But if you're not in a car and you're in a, um, you know, you're sitting or you're lying down, etc. Just look around that everything you have been sold, whether you bought it on a website or you bought it from a store or a shop, they all ask to be in their lives so that you realize it or not. And I just love it. I was just literally staring at everything. <laughs> like as when you picked up your pen, I was like, oh yeah, like I have a pot of pens right there. I adore all of them. I'm a huge Muji fan. Um <laughs> They have great pens. Anyhow, oh, I love I love where this conversation's gone and the, the depth of understanding that's required um, to do sales in integrity. I think because um, the thing is, um, I also had a guest recently. Her name is Maggie Patterson, and she talked about service beyond the sale and how a lot of sales coaches they talk about how to get the sales. So it's the lead up to the sale, but everything else like the what about the fulfillment what about the promise you said in the sales process so do you have anything to comment around that yeah I'm really big on you know I'm really big on like the the fun idea of like under promise over deliver and as soon as people say yes to being part of my offer, I want them to feel immediately cared for and seen and heard. And so I crafted an entire process um, to make sure that at every step of the way, like nobody falls through at any point. And that was done with trial and error (laughs) again, because that just, you know, I needed to learn a lot of things. And there used to be points where people did fall through the process. And I just used that instead of, I mean, I did have my moments of like, oh my gosh, and panic and, yeah. you know, how do I make this better? But instead of, you know, spending too much time beating myself up, I just took it as an opportunity. Like, this is just me, you know, this is just the process showing me where it needs to get stronger so I can continue to support people even better. Mm-hmm. And I think it's nice, like that, speaking of sensitivity, like it's, it's nice to give yourself that bit of grace and know that like, it's still a lot of, a lot of a learning process and that you can hire all of the coaches and do all of the things, but there's a, there's a learning curve with every business that you kind of like have to go into and that's okay. Mm, Yes. And I, um, I noticed that you, you're using a trial and error a lot. And I, first of all, I completely agree with the grace to give yourself and, um the way that I describe it to my partner is that whenever I'm upset um she used to uh give me solutions straight away but I've kind of like I I've characterized it into a place that have you ever watched uh the Pixar movie Inside Out by any chance yes oh, I okay love that. <laughs> okay yes it's such a good 
film oh my god uh we can talk about disney like all day but um so riley um who's the protagonist for anybody who hasn't watched inside out highly highly recommend it um so basically she has core memories and they form like islands of personality in her mind right and i i literally think of um these two places as my islands um not of my personality but when conflict arises so my partner always used to put me on an express train straight to the land of logic right that's where all solutions live <laughs> right um but every time that happens i want to jump off the train and i i want to kind of like not even do a detour because a detour implies that it's not meant to go there in the first place but my first stop is never land of logic it has to be compassion topia <laughs> like good yeah so um so whenever I have a problem and I'm upset um she now she's looking at me she's like compassion topia and I'm like yeah (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like you can take me to the land of logic later but I need compassion topia first let me get my cotton candy (laughs) compassion topia and you know go on the ferris wheel (laughs) exactly exactly oh yes um anyhow I'm actually not quite sure how we got to this point but um yes grace that's what it was um giving ourselves grace like that's my version of it please like take it if you want to but um form your own version if that doesn't quite resonate but giving yourself grace for doing things wrong is paramount in business we need to learn from our mistakes but it doesn't mean that we can't feel for ourselves because feelings you know an ing is a doing word so we need to feel (laughs) um so you know allow yourself to have the feelings and then learn from it um you know and see what we can do better so you've you've mentioned trial and error quite a couple of times so I'm curious to hear from you um both from your own experiences and from your clients um what are the most common problems or mistakes that people run into when they're first trying high ticket sales Oh, this is such a good question. So actually the biggest mistake I see people in sales, and this is the thing that people get most scared about, but it's asking for the sale. And this part is really important. And I like to um, compare it to when you walk into Starbucks and order a coffee. You walk in, you stand in line, you get up, you, you ask the barista for your coffee order. And then what happens next is that she says the price and puts her hand out for your credit card. And that feels totally natural because that's exactly what you expected to happen the whole time. You know, going in, I'm going to need to pay for my coffee. That's not awkward or weird. And so when we're on the sales call, it's the same thing. People worry, the people who are host leading the sales call worry that you know, oh, asking for the sale is too pushy or too harsh or too assumptive, but actually it's not. The person that you're on the call with is actually expecting you to ask for the sale the same way that you expect your barista to ask for your credit card at Starbucks. And if you leave them hanging, they actually find that part really weird because yeah, you know, people when we're ideally on a sales call is you get to the end of it. And what what somebody says is, okay, great. I'd love to book. How do I do that? And that is always possible. Like that's how we want to set your sales call up for success. Um, but sometimes it's just a matter of you're still, you're still answering their questions and you're done answering their questions. And then it's time to say, all right, would you like to go ahead and book your spot? And that part is so hard for a lot of people and it's totally okay, but it's also what the person on the other end is fully expecting. Mm. And so that's the biggest mistake I see is 
being too scared to ask for the sale, leaving the conversation hanging, and then trying to follow up by email later on. And usually what happens is you get ghosted. Mm -hmm. Um, But asking for the sale doesn't have to be a scary thing. And it's definitely doesn't have to be a pushy thing. You know, I always make the invitation. Would you like to grab your spot? Would you like to hop on my calendar? And if they're ready, you know, great. If they're not ready, we might talk through it a little bit more. And then there are just some people who it's just not their jam. They aren't in the space to do it and that's okay. And I just let them go. I actually recommend, you know, if you'd like to think about it, I recommend meditating with it, sit with it. It should feel good and exciting inside your body, even if it also feels nervous. Mm-hmm. And it's okay sometimes to like let people go. We shouldn't be booking at 100% anyway. That yeah. is if you're booking at 100%, you're, you, it's time to raise your prices. Yes, that, that's another sign, like resentment and also 100% bookings. And oh, I mean, it's because, you know, it's a proud thing to say that, like, oh, you know, I get 100% of the clients that uh, sold to because there's no rejection there. Like that, that's the thing, right? And it's the willingness to go through the discomfort of being rejected sometimes for misaligned clients, people who just aren't ready to work with you or you're simply not a right fit. And I just have to say, I love the barista analogy because I actually used to be a barista like before. Um, actually, yes. So when, when I when I said that uh, my first year of business and I had a side job, yeah, that was a side job. I was a barista. So it's, it's so true. Like I can still remember some of my um, frequent customers like I can still remember their orders actually <laughs> it's been years so I can still remember their orders um, and some of their names um, and it would be so strange if they if they made their so I've got one particular one that I'm just going to verbal process because anytime she came into the shop all of my team would say Meike you're the one handling her you're the only one who can take her order and make it so her order was this <clears throat> so it was a medium decaf cappuccino with no chocolate on top semi skim so half skim milk and half whole milk I want it like smooth froth it can't be airy froth and not too hot and her name was Diane I remember her because <laughs> because I I can feel like she would actually and then like my team would only get me to serve her. And then I learned later, she only came in if I was working because wow. I was the only one who could do it. And then there was one day, cause she was always good on the go, 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 go. And one day I asked her like, Oh, would you like to drink in? Or would you like to take away? I was expecting her to say take away. She's like, do you know what? I'm going to drink in today. And I was like, okay, great. So I, I took her order and I made it. Normally when it's busy, like there's one person on till, one person on food, one person on, on drinks and service. But that day it was a little bit quiet. So I took her order, I made her order and I served it to her. And I asked her, by the way, like I've seen you quite often, you know, coming to the shops. So I'm curious um, to ask if it's all right. Like, what's your name? Because I'd like to address you personally um, the next time you come in, um, if she does. And she's like, oh, thanks so much for asking. Uh, you know, my name's Diane. And I remember her so profoundly because of, the personalization, the like, you know, we're, we're, we're told to like, you know, go, oh, what's the phrase that, like, you know, when you go, to, not going to the end of the earth, but going the extra mile, that's it. Like going the extra mile for someone, it makes the world of a difference. And I realize it's a complete tangent now, but. <laughs> no, that's so it's so funny that you say that because this is something that I learned as a journalist because I was an investigative reporter for a long time. And so what I'd be doing is sitting down and asking people to share a story that they weren't sure if they were safe to share a lot of times. But what I learned overall as being a journalist, the 
people are just walking around. Every human is walking around hoping someone will ask them how they're doing, how their day is, something about themselves. And also as humans, we're scared to ask because we're not sure if that's too personal or if it's invasive. And I will tell you my whole life, I grew up, (laughs) I grew up just asking a million questions. I tell people I majored in literally, I majored in asking questions. I was a journalist. (laughs) I just love asking questions. So I've always just been very like, I'm going to ask, I'm going to talk to people. And I've, I think only one time in my whole life of talking to people and asking personal questions, only one time someone has said to me, you know, I don't really want to talk about that. And that's fine. People will set their boundaries. But what, what you're speaking to, I think is so profound because we're just walking around hoping for that kind of connection. And we're also walking around scared of offering it because we're not sure people want it, but they do, they want it so bad. Yes. And I know how to close the loop now because uh, for, for a second, I was like, where's this tangent going, by the way? But I remember <laughs> where it's going. It would feel so strange to me if so, if I'm speaking directly to Diane, so she's giving me her order, but like, okay, wait at the end or like, okay, sit down instead of me, like, you know, asking for the sale. So we loop back, we close the loop now. We're good. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> yes. That is by far the most common mistake. Like I'm not a sales expert. I of course, I sell because I'm a business owner, but that is by far the most common thing that I also face, especially when it came to high ticket sales. So Paige, as we start rounding off this conversation, I would um, love to ask you um, a particular question all about like, where can we get started? Because we talked about a lot of things, a lot of perspectives, some examples um, in our own businesses and things. So for someone who's considering going from Uh, maybe actually this is a two-part question first of all what's in your opinion and in your experience the biggest difference between a low ticket um, sales experience versus a high ticket sales experience so I'm not talking about how much the offer is but kind of like the difference because for example if someone is buying a $47 ebook jumping on a sales call isn't going to be feasible for every single person who wants to buy an ebook right so I'm just curious to hear from you what's the biggest difference there like maybe mm. a different selling style, maybe just a different, um, you know, experience. I just, what, what are your thoughts on that before I ask you part two of this question? <laughs> no, no this, this is a good question. So when it comes to a low ticket selling experience, the value of what you're selling should be may, be able, you should be able to make it immediately clear. And if you can actionable. So if you're selling an ebook or, you know, a, a, mini course or something like that, right away, people should be able to land on your sales page or your email and understand the transformation. So, so those, that's a similarity, but the difference is that, um, a low ticket sales process is going to support people without needing that like personal touch. It's not going to need a conversation to like walk through any blocks that they have. They're already over. They're already like able to identify the blocks that would help like that would hold them back from a low ticket sale because it doesn't feel like the stakes are so high. It doesn't feel Mm -hmm. like such a big risk. So any blocks that they would otherwise have are for them easily identifiable and also something they can overcome on their own without somebody helping them through that process gently. So that's usually what we're looking at in a low ticket sales process, something that is clearly valuable, offers an immediate transformation and a clear transformation and doesn't come up against the typical blocks that happen when we've got something, you know, that's at a higher price point. Mm. Yes. So that's the low 
the, the low ticket experience. So um, before we go into part two of my question, um, so what has been the biggest difference for you that you've seen as you started selling more high ticket um, offers? You know, what's interesting is from my own end, I've noticed that like my own like starting point for what I consider at least money wise, a high ticket item kind of shifts with my energy because I have had experiences where, um, you know, I've needed to do a sales call for a $750 offer, but I've also had experiences where I'm able to sell a $2,000 mentorship package with one simple sales page that I built in less than an hour. And I was able to sell that out in 24 hours. And so it's interesting. A lot of it, so much more than I think we realize is about the energy of it and the confidence that you're bringing to the process and your own ability to kind of, you know, be with, be with the strength of your offer to know that what you're bringing is super valuable. And the more you can do that, the more you can be with that and that value the less, like the more that shift happens where you're selling less in person and more online on like a sales page. So I've noticed that shift for myself, like the more confident I am in my offer, um, the more I'm able to sell it and getting used to selling it, the more I'm able to shift where the selling points need to be from in person on a sales call to online. Mm. Yeah, I can I can relate to a lot of that transition as well. And I think just like from a side note, I'm, I'm already thinking of my own like past offers and or current offers. And I've noticed, funny enough, um, with the exception of my podcast guesting workshop that I sold in January, I've noticed that any offer that I consider lower ticket, so um, anything under $100 or uh, several hundred dollars, but not beyond $500, um, that they've required a very polished um sales page and you know I feel like everything had to be there but interestingly not funnily interestingly um when I sold the first spot actually the first two spots um in my sustainable visibility incubator which is my uh six-month mentorship program I had I didn't have a sales page I had a Google doc (laughs) um outlining the three phases and why they're there and a little bit of logistics, like, you know, like when do we start and the the pricing, of course. Um, and there was very minimal information out there. I just like spoke to the transformation. And it was so interesting because it's a $10,000 offer. So it is an investment, right? Um, but it, my, my clients, they're like, I'm in. Like, yeah. tell me where to sign up. <laughs> um, and after a cycle back up, like full transparency, um, because it is, I acknowledge that is a investment, 10K for six months. Um, you know, uh, it's, I always give my uh, prospective client an out, meaning that like they're not locked into anything if they've joined the wait list. And if they are like still needing, still needing to digest, then we offer something called circle back calls, which I learned from my mentor, um, where like, give them a couple of days to digest the information and then they come to an informed decision that's so important the informed decision where it feels completely aligned for them that they didn't feel like they're in a high pressure situation which is what traditional sales tend to be so the words that you use right they're like um the words that i hear are sleazy and icky when it comes to like old sales tactics um you you had your own uh, language around that at the beginning so yeah 
Uh, but yeah, that, that was just uh, my experience. And I guess uh, that brings us to part two of my question, which is if you were to give all of our listeners one piece of advice on where to get started, if they are either transitioning from low ticket to a high ticket offer, or they're already doing high ticket offers, but it doesn't feel aligned. Like, like where, where's the bridge there? Whether it's someone who's just starting, someone's already doing it, but just wants to like improve um, their experience and how it feels for them. Like where's the, where's the intersection there? I think the most important thing and and where I see a lot of people drop off is actually under the transformation. So if you're offering a transformation, come back to that. Like exactly, exactly what you were saying, May Kay, like that is the part that people want to be immersed in when they're making a decision. And it doesn't have to be, it can be that simple Google doc. And if your message shines through strong for what the transformation is, that is the beginning and the end of everything. And I think a lot of people fall off actually a little bit under that because part of what supports that transformation is your own special sauce, your own abilities, your own expertise. I talk to a lot of creatives who feel like when they talk about what they can bring to that transformation uniquely, they, they feel like, oh, I'm bragging about myself. Oh, I don't want to like sound like I'm like, you know, like in my ego or something. But we need to brag about ourselves because we're really good at what we do. We offer this transformation. So we ourselves are an integral part of it. And it's okay to speak to that. So I would say to any creatives who want to make a shift, come back to that transformation first for your client. What is it you're guiding them through? What is it you're supporting them in? How does your service change their life? And the way that I kind of illustrate this is, features versus benefits, which is not my concept. It's actually kind of an old school concept, but I like to illustrate it like this. When you're thinking about how do I, how do I, um, how do I tell people or share this transformation? Think about a perfect Saturday evening. You're stepping onto a sailboat. The weather is warm and just perfect. And you're taking off from shore and setting sail And you're sitting there with your loved one, having maybe a glass of wine or seltzer water, coffee, or whatever that looks like. You're looking at the sunset and the skies are turning pink and orange and blue and purple. And you can smell the fresh air. Like the sea salt is just like filling up your senses and the wind is washing through your hair. And it's just this perfect, serene moment. And in that moment, we're not thinking about what's the finish that the wood was, what's the finish we painted on the wood on this boat or what kind of nails did we use or what's the fabric on these? (laughs) Those details don't occur to us because what we're doing here with sales or the transformation that you're offering is you're offering the benefits, that serene moment. And the Mm. features are all of the details that make up that boat, the nails, the sails, the wood, those are the features of the boat. But the benefits of that boat are the moment you have at sunset with your loved one, that serenity. So when you're thinking about how do I speak about the offer, we don't need to come from features first. People tend to do that. We tend to say like, oh, my photo package has XYZ hours or my coaching program has six months of support. Instead, come at it with benefits first. 
not just what features do you have, but what do they get the person who is working with them? What are they trans? What are they? These are just tools. How are they offering that transformation? So speaking specifically to the benefits. So that's how I like to kind of couch it, like, or speak to it is the features are all of the details that make the boat up, but that moment on the boat is what people are buying. And so if you can speak to that kind of transformation in your own offers, in your own services, that's where things start to turn around. That's where the power really, really sits. I love that illustration so much. It's like the perfect sales illustration because when you're describing it, I was actually imagining myself on this boat at sunset with, you know, the beautiful breeze without being too cold and being with my partner. And she would probably have um, Coke and I would probably have like plum wine or something because she, she's not a drinker. <laughs> But I imagine that. And then as soon as you start saying like, oh, what's the finish of wood that's used? I'm like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> like nails? What? I don't even know that. But you're right. It's everything that makes up, you know, what's what enables that beautiful experience. That's what the features are. But the benefits are truly what people buy anything for. So mm-hmm. I love that. It's like the sales boat. The sales boat sale. <laughs> I love play on words. The sales boat sales illustration. I love that. That's completely yours. <laughs> Trademark. <laughs> I love that. Oh, well, Paige, this has been such a lovely conversation. I love all the illustrations and examples that you use. And thank you for being, again, so transparent with your own experiences of, you know, yourself and sometimes your clients. So for those who are, you know, just want to get to know you better, because I'm sure some of them do, to learn more than the sales boat sales illustration. <laughs> but where can they go to connect with you further? Absolutely. Please come visit me and connect with me on Instagram at Paige Ray Creative. I am always answering questions in my DMs. So if there's anything you heard today that you want to know more about, drop into my DMs. I want to answer a question for you. I want to give you clarity and support. And that's one of my favorite places is um, to connect with people. Instagram. You got it. So I'll put the link in the show notes. So be sure to head on over there, my lovelies. So Paige, as we start wrapping up, I've got um two final questions for you are you ready yes <laughs> number one what makes you a quiet rebel oh I love this question and this is such a lovely supportive amazing community and to be personal about it like this is the kind of support I've always been like looking for this is the community kind of community that I've always been looking for like, as a business owner as a person somewhere that I can like express passion with purpose and do it, do it being completely myself and to be in an environment where people say like, it's okay to be an empath. It's okay to be a highly sensitive person feels like a revolution. So I, that's why I love this community so much. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for saying that because the way that you described it, um, when I started this podcast, that was my vision. My vision was to, that the quiet rebels was literally like a lighthouse right Mm. you know where people can come to and to be a beacon of light Mm. that can help people shine and feel at home 
that's what I really, really wanted to create a place where people could just feel so at home with themselves and realize that they're not alone, that if they're an empath, if they're a sensitive or highly sensitive person, that, you know, if they're an introvert, especially not exclusive to, there are extroverts in my audience as well, but mainly introverts and all of us are on that introvert extrovert spectrum. I'm about 25% extrovert, 75% introvert from a mm-hmm. recent personality test. <laughs> my point <laughs> is that that is why I created this. And I just thank you so much for acknowledging that that vision has come true. Like e- even if it's me, if it's you who has said that, like I have no idea <laughs> if any of the other quiet rebels feel that way, but thank you for telling me personally, that means the absolute world. <sighs> so well, I'm so happy because you have built such a beautiful community here and I'm sure there are a, a bunch of other people that feel the same way. Thank you. Okay. And as we turn, you know, just like flip the the light back onto you, my final question for you is this. So my lovelies, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, then you picked a really great episode to start with and you may not know what's going to happen next. But for our frequent listeners who are returning for yet another episode, you know what's going to happen. When you hear the sound, It means it's time for the fact of the day. So Paige, because you are our beloved guest, what is one weird fact or a fun story that no one else knows on the internet? Oh, well, okay. So when I was in college, I did like a summer study abroad program and I fell so hard for a Frenchman while I was there. It was in France and I I almost never came home. He wanted me to stay. (laughs) Wow. His family. And so I, I almost lived such a wildly different life um, in like the hills of Auvergne with like a, a little French family. And it, it, it's so wild the way our lives kind of unroll. But like for a while, I thought mm, I might just not go back to school. I might just stay here and, <laughs> and fall in love with this handsome Frenchman. <laughs> I think as soon as like people hear French, um, you know, we think of Paris and how it's a very, uh, you know, it's one of the first places that people think of when it comes to romance. So as soon as you said that, I was, I was like already imagining like, you know, this this windswept sort of scene, like when you've met and fell in love. <laughs> oh. One of those moments where I was like, am I in a, in, mm. am I in a like fairy tale romance? <laughs> yeah. Am I in a movie right now? Where are the cameras? <laughs> Exactly. Oh, oh, I love that so much. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I think, like, I, I definitely want to watch a romance film tonight <laughs> just because. <laughs> oh, but honestly, Paige, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And I love your your enthusiasm and your heart and your sensitivity that you brought to this conversation today. I really hope that whoever has listened, especially to the very end right now, first of all, thank you. And second of all, I hope that Paige has helped you shed some light on, you know, the high ticket sales process where it probably felt very far away at arm's length. Um, but, you know, it's actually a lot more graspable than we ever thought possible. So thank you, Paige. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. This has been so lovely. Like what a treat to be on here. So thank you, May Kay, for having me on. And thank you guys for listening. This is just really amazing. And so my lovely, there we have it. 
So everything that we mentioned in today's interview will be popped into the show notes. So be sure to head for that link. And if you haven't done so already, I would so love it if you could subscribe to this podcast because that way you don't miss a single episode and another conscious conversation. And of course, if you feel cool too, I would so appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review because that really helps other quiet ripples find us. Ah, oh my goodness. Okay, another great episode. And so I will be back same place, same time next week for another episode of the Quiet Ripples podcast. So until then, my lovely, do take care and bye for now.